0: So Paul, why
1: would she invade Taiwan? It is usually more clear and the better indication if we just watch their behavior, their building of their military, the massive scale and the the path in which they modernize the people's liberation army. So people can speculate what why why China would want to take Taiwan it can be nationalistic reason go going from there hundred years of humiliation, saying this is the a, a way to get back at what what they perceive as humiliation. Or it can be realistic calcul- strategic calculation. They need Taiwan if they want to secure their maritime domain here and there and to prevent the United States from choking their the lifeline and that, which is the coastline of of eastern China. But again that no one knows for sure what make them to, uh, propel them to make all these decisions to do the kind of things that they're doing now. But what we can do is to watch what they are doing and, and say, here's the evidence, they are doing this, they're doing that. So we have to prepare with regard to what they are doing.
0: So what is the case for being worried?
1: The past crisis in the Taiwan Strait was uh, the 1996 missile crisis at the time when Li Hui was the uh, president of Taiwan, when Jiang Zemin was the, uh, the leader of CCP. And people now, they, they say that this was the closest point where th- there could be a war breakout between Taiwan and China. For those familiar with the military balance uh, between ta- Taiwan and China, at that, that time, it was pretty clear that there was no chance that the POA could have seceded. In waging a war against Taiwan at 19, in 1996, the military balance was just so off uh, in Taiwan's favor that the, the Air Force and Navy, and not to mention the Taiwanese Army at the time, had half a million standing troops. There was just no chance that the POA could have succeeded in any kind of open warfare against Taiwan at that time. Now, but everything changed in the last 20 years. The POA has built up their Navy. Almost from zero to now, that they are the second the second strongest navy in the world, and possibly the strongest. Yeah, if you look, if you're just talking about East Asia, and they are, they are, their army as the uh, the P O A ground force is also immensely modernized compared to what what they had 20 years ago, and the air force they are also completely revamped, and they are building up the stealth fighter jets, which Taiwan doesn't have and is not going to have because Taiwan opt to buy the F-16V, which is not going to have any stealth performance compared to the the latest generation fighter jets that China, they have been experimenting. They have not yet mass-produced those, those J-31s and other stealth fighter jets, but it is almost certain that they will start to do so as, as the development, as uh, the testing and that everything uh, is mature, which is probably going to happen in the next few years. And when they are finished, Taiwan is going to be outgunned. The only thing that will stand between Taiwan's democracy and China's uh, military mind is the uh, Taiwan's uh, foot soldiers, which right now is 80, 80 90% of Taiwan's uh, standing military. And some pe- the thinking so far in Taiwan, uh, even among the, uh, the military, is they the, the priority has been focused on Taiwan's Air Force, then Navy. The Army is the most neglected part of the equation. The the defense planners in Taiwan, they put so much premium into what Taiwan's Air Force can accomplish. Uh, the problem is that the PLA plans to use their ballistic missiles to paralyzed most, if not all, of Taiwan's uh, airbase runways. And their accuracy and effectiveness have been greatly increased in the last 20 years. So there's a very high chance that at the onset of conflict that those runways are going to be uh, paralyzed, if not destroyed. And those expensive fighter jets, they are not going to be able to get into the air. And the PLA will have... Very strong, if not complete, air supremacy over the Strait, and which means Taiwan's navy will run for cover. They will send a fleet out there to the to the Pacific Ocean, just so they will avoid being hit by Chinese missiles and Chinese aircraft. And that also means that the, the Taiwan's army will be the only thing standing there. So and that's a so, huge problem because Taiwan's army right now, it is not ready to fight. It is, it's not combat ready. I, I'm afraid I have to say this.
0: What What are the other potential scenarios?
1: If they go for other scenario, which is, which might be, for example, taking Taiwan's outer island, they could launch an assault and take those islands there while still not opening fire across the East strait. That could be another scenario. But the but at the end of the day, if they want to militarily subjugate Taiwan, they want, if they want to establish a mil, to contribute to defeat Taiwan's military, they will have to deal with Taiwan's Air Force. There are also other scenarios people talk about like cyber attack, like, like, um, like sea blockade, along with other scenario. Or, or maybe or maybe they, they will not do any of the these things like island tail work or uh, taking out an island, they will simply issue a, an ultimatum. Uh, some people have also mentioned that, for example, they give a day, like in 90 days, we will attack. If, if, if President Tsai, if the current pres- administration of Taiwan doesn't yell, doesn't sign some form of agreement, doesn't agree to certain items that the, the, the POA will attack in, in, say, 90 days or 120 days, what happened next is uh, obviously uh, a huge capital outfly. The stock market collapse and, and shortage of the energy crisis and everything in, in Taiwan, that alone might do the job. That might force, force Taiwan's uh, Taipei's uh, leadership to the to negotiation table and sign some form of agreement. Again, then this is another scenario that, that could have uh, happened. But in any of these scenarios, I think the fact that Taiwan doesn't, have uh, a solid, uh, not, not just solid, but a, a, like an effective ground force. They can defend Taiwan properly. That is a huge disadvantage in any of these scenarios. because the the, the Chinese lead, the, the CCP leadership knows. If we can defeat Taiwan's air force and also navy uh, to laser extent, if we can do, if if we just control the air and 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 the sea, there's not much that Taiwan can. Cling it hope on because the army is just not going to stand on its own feet if if any POA troops get us, get 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 on the island.
0: Can you tell the story about suicide and what it helps to illustrate about the current state of the army's military readiness?
1: Yes, that the Lieutenant Huang, he killed himself a few months ago in back in April. What, what's interesting about this case is, well, unfortunate about this case, that Taiwanese media didn't pay much attention to it, especially compared to another case, the Corporal Hong case back in 2013, the Hong, Hong Chong Chiu case. The, the, there was a corporal uh, in the army, Corporal Hong. He was uh, bullied, he was hit by his uh, superiors in the in, in the company, and then they sent him to confinement. And then he died there after severe, some very severe training. Well, it's not really training. It was just like putting them through hell. Uh, and then he died. And that, that, that ignited a huge protest across Taiwan. Tens of thousands of people took to the street. And that, that was seven years ago at the time when Kuomintang was in power. The uh, the DPP at the time was in opposition. The, there was this huge protest against the KMT for the, the death of a soldier. But now the same thing happened, and th- there wasn't any protests where the media only reported a, a few stories. Uh, it just seemed like no one cared. And that's very unfortunate because for me, Lieutenant Huang's case this year, it is even more condemning to when you look at the circumstances in which uh, he died, because like Corporal Hong, who was a conscript, in the who was serving his military service, Lieutenant Huang, he's he's a volunteer soldier. He before this year, he served five years in the army as as an enlisted soldier. He was he was a brilliant soldier. He got promoted to to officer, and then for some reason they put him in charge of logistics. And and then he came across the problems that most logistic officers have, which is a whole bunch of things missing or broken in his depot. And there are two ways you could deal with it if you are in that position. Uh, one way is, of course, you continue to cover up, you write fake numbers, you just report things that, that, that they exist, which is not there. This is one way to deal with it. Another way you could buy, buy those parts with your own money, which is what he did. He had been, he had been trying to do that for many months before his death. And... Still, the, his superior officers in the brigade, they, they, he was not, because he was just, he was pretty new to the unit. And the other officers, they pretty much, or oh, I would say, abuse him. That, in fact, I, I actually interviewed his, uh, his brother, who showed me that other material that during his time, in, during, that just months prior to his death, that he was doing the kind of job that's supposed to be done by, Four or five soldiers, and 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 in, in the end, he just I couldn't take it anymore and kill himself. But the whole thing is, if you after my after my report was published, there was a huge reaction in Taiwan's uh, veterans community. Like hundreds of thousands of people, they just commented on these on the newsland's website and also their Facebook posts. They all often are complaining that when I serve. This is what happened. This is exactly the thing that, that happened to me when I served here or there five years ago, three years ago. Now, like hundreds of these kind of common. So this is not isolated incident. This is typical of Taiwan's uh, Taiwanese Taiwanese military, especially the army. Sure.
0: So how does the story connect to the transition from a transcription to an all-volunteer
1: force? 25 years ago, In 1996, missile crisis, Taiwan's Taiwan's military has half a million troops. Right now, Taiwan doesn't even have 200,000. So it is a 70, 80% cut over two decades. They try to maintain as much- Can you start off with talking about the politics of that decision at the time? Because the military service was, it was a widely disliked system. For a variety of reasons, we, you have military service in South Co- military service in South Korea and Israel as well, and also other places. But in Taiwan, it is the, the general feeling is the military service is just a waste of time. It is not. It doesn't aid to a man's career. That especially like the complaint was it was too long. It was like two years or something. When I served in, 2000, in 2010, in it was only one year. And after 2015, I think it, it was shortened to four months. and for, four months means that essentially they the, the conscripts they are bringing in will leave them two months after the, after they finish their training. and that means that they only send these conscripts to some auxiliary unit or and and or places that they don't expect to seek they, to, to to be the the front, the front line troops. Uh, even if they are sent to frontline troops, they these conscripts because they are they will be leaving in two months. So they are not given serious uh, they are not given serious training. That's just a matter of fact. Because you, if you are a, a sergeant in a field unit, you are not going to waste two months of your time training a batch of soldiers who will be leaving in two months. You will focus on the the volunteers that you have, which is which is which right now compose. Most of the ascending troops in ta- in the army, so this transition to the from conscription to all volunteer force, it has a profound impact on how the the military structure their uh, structure their force. Paul, can you come back to the idea
0: in the '90s that military service was a waste of time? Like everyone sort of gripes about it, but the threat to Taiwan is just as real as the threat to South Korea or. Um, or Israel. So, was it sort of a institutional failing that it didn't provide people with, you know, skills and training that they could use in their later life? These other countries are democracies too, right? right? So, like, what made it shake out in such a way that um, the politics led to the force hollowing itself out?
1: So, even twenty years ago, the Taiwan's military had half a million men at a time. It, look, it looks pretty powerful, a very huge chunk of this force, but you could see that the, the problems were already there. The culture of the military um, of the Taiwan's military was it was developed during the uh, the, the Kuomintang era. So when Chiang Kai-shek brought the, uh, the nation's troops into Taiwan, the military was not designed to be a professional kind of standing army because Chiang Kai-shek was fighting uh, the the civil war against the uh, the Chinese Communist Party, and that that experience. That focus on fighting the fighting the POA, defying the Taiwanese military, and also because of the fact that the Kuomintang was it was an authoritarian regime for for decades, the Chiang kai sheks fear was always that someone in the military would start a coup against him. He put in a lot of emphasis maintaining how to control the military from where he stands, how to prevent someone from in the military from Taking initiative, so in this way you can see the the tradition of Taiwan's of the ROC military was you can it, it's more like an internal control force rather than a professional military, and that tradition continued until this day. If you look at how they structure their training, how they structure their reserve force, how they the, the focus of their of their exercise and other, other things, and that's a huge problem because. If you are a if you are young if you are a young man young Taiwanese man you you have to do this military service things and you expect that you will be trained as a soldier you will learn how to operate weapon how to be part of a force that that they can engage enemy in in a modern battlefield setting and to fight for your own country but all these expectations right so, so these are these are. Legitimate expectations of what someone who signed up for military service should expect to receive, but what most conscripts, what most people serving the military, their experience deviate very much from this general expectation. Instead, they are mostly wasting time uh, doing things that that most people would consider wasting time. For example, you, if you if you are in the army, you can be you'll be on standby for call for as many as 15, 20 times a day, just to stand in the assembly ground every two or three hours. I, I did I did accounting when I was in the army. I did something like 12 roll calls every day. So which means if four hours of your time every single day is spent going to the assembly ground, standing there and be called on your name and that's it. Yeah. So that was super stupid but later on as i research more into why something like this happened then i realize this is actually a sign of the the is the officer corps especially the non-commissioned officer corps is the is is a failure on their part why because if you have a successful um, ngo a command structure the nco and officer the nco is supposed to know how many people are present how many people are here how many people are there uh, without doing this many roll calls, right, you you are supposed to be able to, to know to control your force without this kind of um, spending four hours every day in the assembly ground. Coming
0: back to our scenario discussion, can you talk about the importance of the roles that
1: Japan and the U.S. would potentially play in any conflict? I think contrary to what, to what many people believe, Japan is actually more likely to be the one. Coming to Taiwan's defense if the worst uh, if the worst happens and China decides it to resort to in military uh, invasion, I have this assessment because I think that for Japan the the, the supply the energy supply line the maritime, the sea line of communication, and also the proximity to, in the region and also their their connections to Taiwan that's it's, everything it just just tells me that they will not stand by. And see seeing Taiwan being taken, but this is also one thing that I, Taiwan is not uh, doing well in terms of foreign policy. Taiwan's relation with Japan looks really nice. Taiwanese public have such high have such friendliness toward the toward Japan, and friend and Japanese public also view Taiwan very favorably compared to China, especially. But in terms of actual state-to-state relation. Well, Japan doesn't recognize the Taiwan as a sovereign state and the exchange the exchanges so far seem to be it's not a normal state to say kind of <laughs> relation and there is no communication between Taiwan the military and Japan's self-defense force there is no possible, as, as such there's no possibility that they, they can fight together if a war break out, breaks out now but I think this is going to change uh, hopefully, Especially, I my re my research, uh, my investigation seem to indicate that the senior leadership in Japan's Self Defence Force they have been seriously thinking about this issue. But again, the political obstacle is there. That especially uh, for now, the political obstacle is that the Japanese Diet, their Parliament, is just not they are just not mobilized to move things in Taiwan's favour which is strange because considering that japanese public have such high have such high view of taiwan.
0: Yeah. It's it, it's interesting about the ultimatum idea and how that would get in those 90 days a lot could happen on the on the di- diplomatic side i would imagine.
1: Right. And i think for me personally i still think the ultimatum scenario is is among the less likely because it is not consistent with what I observed, the, the CCP went to war in the past. If you look at the past history, they tend to focus surprise. They tend to focus on going in there quick, going in there fast, without you expecting them. And if they go for the ultimatum kind of scenario, then they will lose the element of surprise. And also, if the, the thing with ultimatum is... If you issue if you issue 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 one, if you issue a threat, say I will do X if you don't do Y, this is actually this is this actually uh, constrain your range of options. Why? Because people are now be looking at you. Okay, if the other person doesn't do Y, you have to do X. Otherwise your credibility is blown. No one will take your threat seriously from now on. So if they issue a ninety-day automaton, they will have to put up a pretty convincing kind of attack to, to just to make a show. Otherwise, no one will believe that I believe the CCP's credibility from that point on. So that is one thing that why I think that the ultimatum is less likely. I think more likely is surprise attack scenario uh, out taking outer island. Sure, Paul. Could you talk a little bit about the process of reporting on Taiwan's military? I am not. Uh, I'm not affiliated with with any major Taiwan media. I'm an independent reporter. They seem to have a culture of only talking to the media that that they like to talk to, and that is the major media in Taiwan. But even in terms of their relation to Taiwanese media, this I what I can say here: the United Daily, which is one of the largest newspapers in Taiwan. I know for a fact that some of their defense reporters, some of the defense reporters with the United Daily, they have been put on surveillance by Taiwanese government. Why I know this? Because this, this, this few re, these defense reporters in the United Daily, they have received notice from Taiwanese government telling them that they have been subjected to communication surveillance. So in tai, per Taiwan's law, you, you have... If the if the if the government put you on surveillance, they have to tell you one year after they started that surveillance, and they—that's very polite. Well, um, imagine the day, the day that if if you were as a reporter and you have to talk to that many sources, you have to maintain keep the identity of many of your sources secret. But then on a, one day, you just receive a notice saying we have been spying yeah, for one scary. year, and it's not just one. Okay, it's two of them. Two defense reporter with the United Deity. Please subscribe to Chat and Talk at glow.fm
0: slash Chinatalk. Also, hire me, preferably full time, but consulting gigs work too. My email is in the show notes. Thanks so much. Paul, could you briefly tell the story of Han Kou Yu and the mainland uh, social media effort right. to, uh, you reported on to help get him elected?
1: Right. That story was uh, one year ago, but it felt like felt like a lifetime um, ago. So, mm-hmm. Ha Hagoi right now is, he was just booted out of Kaohsiung. and it doesn't look so far, it doesn't look like he will make a political comeback. He's, 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 his political career is over. But the, there was a concrete effort as my, my, my investigation showed in my first article for the foreign policy, that Chinese uh, cyber groups were trying to help his reelection his election to the mayor uh, in 2018 election cycle. But looking back at this story, especially looking at the development in the last year, Taiwan had a legislative and presidential election in January of 2020. The I personally did not notice a concrete effort, social media campaign, such as what we had in 2018, happened in 2020 cycle. That's from where I observe. You and my general feeling is the CCP didn't put as much focus into that campaign in 2020 compared to 2018. For what, why I didn't I don't know. If I can speculate, I would say maybe they saw how the election was, was going. They look at the polls and then they decided Han Guoyu was just not electable. Or it could be that something changed their mind concerning Han Guoyu. Who was the candidate of coming presidential candidate of coming down mm-hmm. last uh, uh, last year, which uh, made them change their support? They just stopped supporting him, or 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 maybe they actually never supported him from the beginning. They were just trolling. Well, which could be the case because same thing I can I I think the same thing happened to Han Guoyu from 2018 to 2020. The they, the 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 CCP likely help Han Guoyu in 2018 cycle just because they were trying to see if they can have something else. Have some have to like, like Maybe they saw Han Guoyu and said, well, oh, this guy's interesting. He says something that we like as opposed to the things that President Tsai say, which we didn't like. So let's help his campaign a little bit using our ability, using the toolkit that we have and see how things would develop. And after he became mayor, in twenty, after 2018, throughout 2019, his, his record just disappointed the CCP. And so they say, well, we're not gonna help this guy anymore. And I think that's what happened. Uh, last thing, Paul, you mind contrasting
0: the Wolf Warrior diplomacy to uh, how uh, Taiwanese diplomats play on Twitter and Facebook?
1: If we look at the Wolf Warrior tweets that Chinese diplomats put out, We think they're silly. We think they are counter, they are self-defeating. We think that they piss out more people than they persuade. For them, they might serve a purpose. They might be, for them, they they might view diplomacy in a very different way than we we presume. And I think the same thing is happening with Taiwan's, the current Taiwan government's diplomacy efforts there. What really caught me, what, what really caught my eyes was a few weeks ago, Taiwan's representative to the United States, Shao King. she tweeted out a video of uh, made uh, like a PR video made by Taiwan's uh, Ministry of Foreign Ministry of National Defense. So it's, it's just like a propaganda video with cheesy music and like all kind of slogan. Taiwan is going to defend ourselves. We are strong. We are this X and Y. And she tweeted a video, and with the, I forgot the exact wording she used, but along something along the line of, Taiwan is ready. China just come, China can come, and we are ready. To me, that is, that is such an irresponsible tweet. Um, that is such an irresponsible way of messaging, especially to international audience. And uh, because no one can be ready for war, okay? No one can be, you have not. These alone sitting diplomat of Taiwan should be out there and tell, telling the uh, international audience that Taiwan is ready for this this and that. No soldiers, no, no serious soldier and officer, no serious defense or, or, or writer will ever say that our country is ready for war. You, you, you will never be ready for war. The, the, the true nature of the war is that when it breaks out, it is going to surprise you. Okay, it's going to go nasty, it almost always does, no matter how well prepared you are, no matter how much you think you, how many offensive weapons, how trained your troops are, how, what kind of um, exhaustive plans you have already prepared, laid out, things don't go your way, and people die. So for a diplomat to say, we are ready for this, I don't think that's a proper way of, um, of messaging, but apparently that's the current Way of this current kind of, rhetoric and messaging that Thai government's diplomats are putting out there, to me, I don't think that's that's helpful for Taiwan, international image. I think if you want to convince the world that Taiwan can defend itself, that Taiwan can stand against China, you should be more prudent. You should actually focus on fixing Taiwan's military before you go out there and say and tell the world that we are ready. We are not. As a matter of fact, we are not. Even with even if we are, we shouldn't say we are. And the the officers that I many of the senior officers, retired senior officers, and also defense um, writers in Taiwan, thinkers in Taiwan, I interview, I talked to. I think they would uh, concur with my feeling here, that said, if if you are a serious defense watcher, you try to not be a chicken hole, meaning someone who's focused on pretending to be tough, pretending to. Uh, To talk tough, because people who actually know military, people who actually know war, they tend to know that it's going to get nasty. Paul Huang,
0: thanks so much for coming on China Talk.
2: Such you I don't go Da ring ring ring, The well, did hey, hey d No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Xiao